Hello, and welcome to the McCubby Chronicles Happy Hour. My name is Sammy Higgins. This is a brand new podcast for us, and instead of focusing on the minutiae of what is happening with the Giants on a week-to-week basis, I thought we would make this similar to what we're doing with the MLB Chronicles features on the site. So what you can expect from us week-to-week is a conversation with people in baseball from around the league as we check in on different teams and fan bases, talk about issues that are important to us, and some that might just be petty, while we have a couple of drinks and a good time. For our first episode, I'm joined by co-host Brady Klopfer of our own site and our guest Ashley McLennan. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ashley. Everybody. Today we have Brady Klopfer as our co-host, and you might know Brady from his work at our site and over at Golden State of Mind or his coverage of the Los Angeles Sparks. So Brady, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am wonderful. So uh, obviously this isn't the format for timely takes because this probably isn't going to publish for a few days, but I kind of wanted to get what your feeling is right now about the Warriors. Oh, <laughs> uh, hopefully... By the time, you know, anyone listens to this, things will be looking better than they currently are. But my outlook is hopeful, but not particularly optimistic and oddly at peace with that. That's fair. That's a fair statement. I think that's where I'm at as well. Um, So today we have our first guest. Um, Her name is Ashley McLennan. And Ashley, thank you for being here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And I got to say, I'm Canadian, um, so I'm, of course, rooting for the Raptors right now. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. That's okay. It's fair enough. You're Canadian. I mean, let's let's be fair here. There has not been a Canadian team to win the NBA Finals in 24 years. And didn't the Warriors just win, like, last year? (laughs) And the year before. And (laughs) two years before that. Yeah. If look, if there's a team that they're going to lose to, I would want it to be Toronto, a hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I'm not a huge NBA follower, but of course, I'm all swept up in the Canadian like excitement bandwagon <laughs> right now. So I'm like, go Raps, and it's the only thing our news is talking about. So you know, regardless of what people like to say, bandwagons are so much fun. <laughs> they really are. And it's funny, I actually, like I said, I'm not a big basketball watcher, but I literally just signed up for a pass to the WNBA because it's $17. Right? Amazing. It's just bonkers. And I'm like, if I'm going to learn about basketball, I'm going to pay $17 for the entire season to learn about basketball. So Now, is that league-wide or is that team-specific? No, that's league-wide. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you can, like, use Chromecast and everything to put it on your TV. Um, and it runs, I think, on most um, platforms. I know it doesn't run off my Xbox, but pretty much anything else, it will. And you can watch archived games, so you don't have to be watching them live. Which is good, because <laughs> I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you picked a team yet, Ashley? Um, I think I'm leaning. I haven't. There were some great like Twitter interactions a couple weeks ago that made me kind of feel maybe like the Mystics were the way to go. But I haven't like picked a specific team yet. Well, Brady's got like, Brady's a great resource on that. He's helped me pick my teams. So, <laughs> all right, Brady, I'm going to lean on you. You might have to tell me who to root for. Well, I told Sammy to root for Las Vegas if she wants like a really fun bandwagon, and right. Seattle if she wants just like a team that 
an organization that you feel good about rooting for at all times. Very good. Yeah. So those would be my two picks. All right. Good to know. Yeah, we don't have a team anymore in uh, Northern California, and I can't root for Los Angeles sports. So, <laughs> Understandably. A good, loyal. So, uh, Ashley, for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, you bet. Um, I am primarily a baseball writer, even though we've been talking about basketball <laughs> for the entire intro. Um, I am all over the place on SB Nation. Um, primarily I'm a writer and editor for Bless You Boys, so I cover the Tigers. That's where I started. And then I also write and am the deputy manager of the Tampa Bay Rays SB Nation site, um, D-Rays Bay. And then I periodically will contribute to and run the social media for Bleed Cubby Blue. That's your, you are all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I've also done some stuff for fan graphs and for the Hardball Times and a couple others. That's awesome. So, okay, before we get going on our full conversation and everything, we're going to be doing um, a kind of getting to know you quiz where I'm going to ask the, uh, this time I'm going to ask both of you because it's Brady's first time on here as well. Um, I'm going to ask you three questions and just give me your answers the best you can. So if you were commissioner for a day, what would you change Brady? I would have to just get rid of the designated hitter league-wide. I know that's just like a simple thing relative to, I mean, I guess if we're being super honest, I would, you know, demand some extreme makeover of minor league pay and everything like that. But in the interest of like a more feasible, interesting answer, get out of here, designated hitter. No, Nobody wants you. <laughs> okay, Ashley. Oh, mine is the exact opposite. <laughs> I would DH. That's perfect, though. Because <laughs> of course, I mean, you guys are San Francisco, right? So I'm, but I'm, I'm all AL almost all across the board, and I think the DH is the way to go. I, you know what, the counter to that, and I get that, like from a um, a logic standpoint, but the counter to that is like Madison Bumgarner hitting home runs. Like, is there anything more more fun in baseball? I would say that there's not. You know, and I grant you that because I know when Justin Verlander was pitching for the Tigers, we have like a hit watch going because it took him so long to get his first major league hit. When it finally happened, we were all like, yes, Justin Verlander. <laughs> he finally did it. And you could tell he was like pretty proud of it too, kind of giving himself a pat on the back at first base. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I mean, it is a lot of fun. Like I also remember when Max Scherzer was with the Tigers, he like had an incredible double at one point that I think scored a run. And everybody's like, what the heck am I watching? Um, so, yeah, pitchers hitting is fun, but I think sometimes they're just so bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll grant you the difference of opinion because you're in the <laughs> Okay. So if you had to give an impromptu TED Talk, what could you talk about at length? Ashley, you can go first this time. Oh, probably not knowing how to say no to things <laughs> is definitely high up on my list. Um, she says she works for three different sites and has a full-time job and runs her own YouTube channel. Oh, my God. Um, and is an author. <laughs> like, I don't sleep much, and it is a big problem in that I don't know how to turn anything down. So I'd be really good at telling people how not, not <laughs> to anything. How not to be, if yeah. you want to say no. Don't, don't be like me. Listen to Andy <laughs> Ashley's TED Talk. Uh, Brady? I really like that answer, Ashley, and I kind of want to steal it. But see, I don't think I'm necessarily qualified to talk about anything at a a TED Talk time or level. But I 
I feel like I wrote my senior thesis in college basically on taking walks. So I feel like I've already proven that I can talk for hours on end about something that mostly nobody cares about. So I, I would have to go with, with, with that. So you, you and Bruce Bochy have something in common then? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Bruce and I would be great friends. We would just like take slow walks and then drink some scotch or some wine and grumble a little bit inaudibly and, and do it all again the next day. We'd, we'd get along great. That, that sounds like an excellent time. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, okay, last question, and we'll start with Brady this time. Um, favorite ballpark food from any park? This is kind of a hard one for me because I feel like this is there's some inconsistency here. But when the, when it's on, I I just I have to go plain and simple and go with garlic fries in San Francisco. It's, to me, good garlic fries outside by the water is you can't have a better food than that. Sometimes the garlic fries aren't great. Sometimes they're perfect. I don't know if it's like the vendor or just my mood, but when they're when they're as good as they're capable of being, give me that simple fried food with garlic on it. <laughs> Ashley, what's yours? Um, for me, I'm pretty classic. I love a plain hot dog and a ballpark pretzel. Oh, pretzel. I do try to like figure out whatever, because I'm, like I said, I'm in Canada. I'm not anywhere near a stadium, so like I have to make trips every time I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I go, I'm like, what is the crazy food that this stadium is known for? And I will go find it. Um, so like in the Marlins park, it's like a plantain wrapped in bacon. And of course at Oracle, me, AT&T, um, it was the like crab or lobster, like garlic bread sandwich. Yeah. The crazy crab. Which is like $16. (laughs) And it just blows my mind that it was that expensive. And I had to like go all the way out into the outfield to find it. And I'm like, this is just a subpar sandwich made of crab and garlic bread. How dare Uh you? <laughs> Pissing it off the giant's faithful sandwich. <laughs> that sandwich uh, is a legend. <laughs> you know what? It is everywhere I looked. I'm like, you have to try this sandwich. But I got to go with Brady. I think the garlic fries were way better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, you've redeemed yourself. And there are so many stalls. That's what blew me away at that park. I'm like, every like ten feet, somebody was selling garlic fries. <laughs> Okay, so um, I kind of want to start asking everybody, what made you fall in love with either baseball in general or the or your favorite team and what is your favorite team? Oh, gosh. Picking seems very hard considering how yeah. split my loyalties are. The Tigers are really the team that brought me back into baseball as an adult, so I got to give it to them. Although the past two or three seasons, I've been really like, growing in my love affair with the Rays. So they're pretty much almost on par with each other at this point. Um, but I just got to give a little something extra to the Tigers, um, which is funny because it's now part of like the legend of how I came back into baseball is that it was actually a boyfriend's fault at the time. Um, I was dating a guy who'd grown up in Windsor, which is right across the river from Detroit. And um, he's like, well, if you want to hang out tonight, we're going to have to watch baseball. And I'm like, guess I can do that that seems interesting enough I can you know deal with a baseball game to go hang out with my boyfriend and the joke now is is that I kept the team even though I broke up with him (laughs) which isn't fair because I still hang out with him and we still go to baseball games every year we just aren't dating anymore 
Um, but yeah, that's how I came back to my love of baseball. I had originally started out in like the 1992-93 era, of course, bandwagoning the Blue Jays when I was nine because they were, of course, on that historic double back-to-back World Series wins and they were just one of the better teams and it was very exciting if you were nine. <laughs> and then the 94 strike happened and I had no no, you know, patience to hang on to baseball when it wasn't around for a year. And then I came back to it in 2011, I guess. That was a good time for, well, somewhat good time right before the uh, 2012 <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah, I went to the World Series. That was um, very cold and very depressing for me. Uh, well, for you less so. Yeah, a little bit more. Well, but it was that entire postseason was incredibly stressful so the world series being a sweep for us on our side was was actually very nice and very welcome um but that was the one where the giants faced elimination in both series before that so it was nice it's like okay no stress so um how did you get into writing about baseball i started out with fan posts actually on sp nation like i periodically i kind of got to know some of the writers from bless you boys way back um, because they were on Twitter, of course, and you would get into chats. And then I started doing um, some fan posts periodically, just like funny stuff, like drinking games for when the teams are doing badly and, <laughs> and that sort of things. And, you know, I got a bit of a rush every time they would feature one where it would be like, oh, yeah, this is good enough that we're going to put it on our Facebook page or on the front page of the blog. And I'm like, whoa, there could be something to this. And at that point, I was already a published author, so I wasn't unfamiliar with writing or, you know, doing kind of polished edits on things. But it wasn't until kind of a couple of years later, I'm like, maybe I actually want to try to do this for real. And so again, I started doing a couple fan posts here or there, and I started my own blog for a while, which was where the 90 Feet From Home name came from. And then I kind of just asked if they needed anybody on staff and that's how I got on at Bless You Boys and the rest kind of snowballed from there. Can I ask how you got into writing about the Rays? Were you already a fan or was that just an opportunity that came your way and you became? Yeah I think I, it was like we have a group a big group chat for SB Nation baseball writers and I got to know Danny who's the editor um, the managing editor at D-Rays Bay and he kept kind of making jokes about like topics that I could write about for the Rays and I kind of came on board just editing a couple articles here or there and then writing a couple articles here or there. And then it wasn't even just that. It was, honestly, it was the Rays' social media presence because the Rays have, I think, arguably one of the best Twitter accounts in all of baseball, which kind of goes over into their Instagram. I actually wrote about it earlier this year because they, I noticed them doing a lot of things unique and interesting this year that I thought were worthy of mention. Like but before what? I... Well, they have taken a very unique approach in that they tackle each version of their social media in a different way. So they understand and like latch on to the photo elements of Instagram, but they'll do it in in layout form and they'll do it in like hyper saturated color. And they've just really figured out kind of a very unique way of standing out on that platform. Whereas they get the short attention span of Twitter where a tweet will last 18 seconds and they won't put that much polish into the video they share there. It'll be like, here's a quick clip from spring training or here's a funny thing or here's a quick graphic. And then on Facebook, they would be posting like 36 picture albums because they know your auntie, your auntie Sue's over on Facebook and wants to look at a 36 picture album. <laughs> So I thought it was really unique the way that they were attacking that. 
And they just were doing something that I'd never seen before. And I really appreciated that from both a fan and a person who knows the team kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the thing that drew me to them at the first is their, was their interaction with fans on Twitter. Like, they'll reply to people. They'll engage with you. If you tag them, they will respond to you. And it became kind of a joke where I was like, me and my best friend at Ray's Baseball are having a conversation today. <laughs> and so I got to know that account, and then I ultimately got to know the people running the account, and all of that made me really like what that team was doing and made me become a fan of the team before I barely knew more than three people's names that were on the team itself. So And then it just sort of grew from there. So now I, I love the team, but it was definitely the, the framework around the team that drew me in. That is fascinating. I don't think I have ever heard anybody tell a story like that, of of falling in love with a team that way. That's so interesting, because you kind of think of these, like, team brands, like social media, and some of them, some of them are are, are pretty good at it, but some of them are less good at it. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody kind of finding their way to a team through them. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is actually fascinating, too, because like I said, I've, I'm a fan of a couple different teams. And I know that some teams are very restrictive in the freedom that they'll allow their social media teams, like the jokes they want kept to a minimum, the interactions they want kept to a minimum. And it can be very hard then for the social media management group that works, like, which is usually just a bunch of really nice, like, 25 to 30 year olds with big ideas. They're kind of limited in how much they can do based on what the team will allow. And then you look at a team like the Rays, where I'm seeing them have so much freedom of expression, where they're going to to management and they're like, we want to film these guys getting ready for a game. And we want to make like a big old hype video about it. And we're going to like lead the charge of the season before it even goes live. And if you go back and look at everything they've done from before spring training to now, it's a very calculated and I think a really fascinating way to like appeal to fans new and old and get people really excited about the team that's really cool i like the idea that you can tell they've got somebody in there that knows more than just how to manage an account they like seem to have a long-term strategy for the season i like that and that's so important with like baseball's struggle to attract the younger generation of fans and to to grow the game that's vital to have teams actually be taking that modern approach and drawing people in with good social media skills instead of just being conservative with it all in how they promote themselves. Yeah, instead of just tweeting, like, you know, gifts of things that happen during a game, which they also still do, there's definitely very much a personality to that account. And, like, I know it's more than one person. Like, I I actually know several members of the team now at this point, and they do such great work. Like, there's times where I'll reach out to one or two of them, like, after they tweet something or post something, and I'm like, come on, this is amazing. Uh, it's just really impressive what they've done. On, I think going on both of your points, it's like you think about how restrictive MLB overall is in terms of their content, and like they need somebody with the forethought that the Rays seem to have in order to like grow yes. the game. Like you need accessibility to the content. You need to be, you know, doing something interesting. Rays recently just sold a bunch of tickets for several great games at five bucks a pop because of all the attendance issues that they're known for having. And I think that's something that teams, and this is a team that's top of the AL East or tied for top of the AL East right now, is having an amazing, one of the best seasons of their entire like history 
and they're still only getting 6,000 fans at a time, and they're opening it up, and they're like, okay, we're winning, but no one's here, so let's sell some $5 tickets. And then I look at teams like my Tigers, who are doing a rebuild and are terrible, and are still selling their like cheapest tickets for 20 bucks a pop. Yeah, I would and- say the Giants are doing the same thing. They're <laughs> almost unwatchably bad, and yet, I mean, to buy tickets straight through them, you have the same issue. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Like, sell like sell them at a discount, and once they're through the door, they're there buying your beer. They're going to buy a T-shirt or a popcorn or a hot dog. You're still getting that money from them once they're there. Yeah, exactly. Like, put yep. people in those seats. Yeah, especially, in, I mean, with the Rays, that's crazy that they're playing very well and still aren't getting people in the door. But if you're a team like the Tigers or the Giants where you're just – really bad you still want people to show up well you got to make you got to make it more accessible to people because if you friendly make it cheap yeah because if you can sell your tickets to a family that's got maybe three four kids well if they can buy five dollar tickets you've got those kids in the door maybe they fall in love with baseball and you have a customer for life they're leaving with hats and jerseys yeah (laughs) but then maybe parents can afford to buy them that t-shirt if they didn't have 30 bucks to put them in a seat you know yeah exactly and 30 dollars for parking and whatever else yeah that actually kind of segs into one of the things i wanted to ask you about so we were kind of we've already kind of discussed that the rays are doing pretty well tigers not so much um (laughs) one of the goals on of this podcast is to kind of check in around the league with um different people that are fans of other teams so what if you had to summarize the season so far for each team how would you summarize it I would say the Rays are exceeding my expectations in the best possible ways. Um, I really, and I think a lot of that falls in because both the Yankees with all of their injury issues and the Red Sox with just generally not living up to their own expectations kind of haven't had the runaway success that I think everybody else thought they would. And the Rays are not just going to sit back and be a third place team. They're like, we won 90 games last year when no one thought we would do anything. And we invented this insane new pitching strategy. And we're just going to run with being the best at it while other teams can't figure out how to use it with the (laughs) opener. And just continue to have success. And I think they're such a fascinating club. Because they made some really interesting moves over the offseason where they picked up guys like like Avi Garcia and these players that may not, you know, be superstars, but are flexible in the places you can put them and are really just incredible and exploding out of any kind of expectation anyone had for them. Like I look at a guy like Austin Meadows, who they picked up during the trade with for Chris Archer to the Pirates last season, and Meadows was okay as an up-and-coming prospect with the Pirates, but I don't think anyone expected the season that he's having this year, which is just monster, insane, incredible season, and he should be an all-star, and if he's not, I don't know what's happening with that voting system. (laughs) Um, But they're just, they have these guys who can kind of be slotted into multiple roles. They have incredible pitching with, like, Charlie Morton and with Blake Snell. Um, Tyler Glasnow was such an incredible pickup at that same trade, although he's injured now. But, I mean, this is a team that can overcome something like an injury to Glasnow and just keep rolling with it. And they've really kind of learned how to keep going when the chips may look like they're down. And I think we're seeing that in, in its best form right now with them potentially winning the AL East or at the very least the wild card spot. 
Do you think they have what it takes to maintain that down the stretch? I do. I do think that they do with the current staff that they have without having to make many, if any, moves at the deadline. I think they still will. I think they're likely going to look for either a long reliever or somebody who can kind of fill in in that bullpen role, maybe not as a closer, but somebody who can handle those those late innings or long innings. We know uh, a guy. <laughs> I well, that we do, a few. <laughs> I want them to make a move for a guy like Blaine Hardy from the Tigers, honestly. But we'll see what happens there. You might see a guy, some them trying to find somebody for the, the infield role. But they have a pretty good depth for infield positions right now. So I don't think that that's going to be much much of a concern for them. And they have such depth in the farm that they can make those trades if they need to. Because they have one of the best farm teams in baseball. Farm systems, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's insane. But now I have to talk about the Tigers, don't I? <laughs> we should have started with the Tigers. I should have done this the opposite <laughs> way. You can um, just pretend you're not a fan of them anymore. I can't just skip it. That, unfortunately, because the disappointment just crushes me. And if I didn't care, I wouldn't care about what they're doing. Well, so um, are they? you said that they're in a rebuild. Are they, like, officially embracing the rebuild? Or are they, like, kind of dancing around it like the Giants? No, I mean, they've said and they have acknowledged that they are in a rebuild. Um, my problem with what they're doing is that they don't seem to have an internal clock set on where they see that rebuild ending. Mm-hmm. So they're making these moves that make no sense. And I, I don't think they know if they want to compete by 2021 or by 2024. And so they're doing all these things. I mean, they did great last year with the draft, picking up Casey Mize. Mm-hmm. Casey Mize is going to be incredible. He's, as far as I'm concerned, and this is maybe me being too optimistic, is going to be an ace. He's just showing that in the minor leagues right now. He came up and in his like his debut in Erie, pitched a no hitter. <laughs> like, God, he's he's great, and that's like it's very exciting stuff. But and that was him saying his fastball was off. He didn't get to throw his fastball, which is his bread and butter, because it just wasn't he wasn't getting the command he wanted, and still threw a no hitter. Oh, so the, the guys. God. Yeah, he's going to be a monster. There's other great pitchers coming up. Matt Manning, um, Alex Fido, I'm iffy on, but he's shown some promise. Um, there's a catcher in the minor league system right now, Jake Rogers, who I think is their future starting catcher. There's a lot to be excited about, but I also think that they have no idea how to lay the groundwork for that to properly set up a rebuild the way that I think a rebuild should be set up. They went in way too early and spent way too much in the offseason, getting guys like Jordy Mercer, um, getting pitchers like Matt Moore. And I'm saying all these names, and none of these guys are playing now. Matt Moore's finished for the season. He had an injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Harrison's on the 60-day DL. IL, sorry. Yeah. Um, Mercer is unknown as to when he's going to return right now because he was in rehab, doing a rehab stint down in Toledo and had to be pulled early because he looked like he re-injured himself. So we went from the beginning of the season where they had seven usable starting pitchers to not knowing which farmhand they're going to pull up, you know, on any given week to make that work for them. So So then what it, was the why did they feel the need to spend so much money if they're in the rebuild? I mean Well that's the thing, they really didn't. They didn't spend a ton of money, but they spent it too early. Okay. So there was no real awareness of how the offseason was going to look. They really didn't pay, seem to pay any attention to how it went the year previous, where we're seeing such a like a, a lowered interest in paying a lot of money for 
you know, one season rentals or guys who might be good at the trade deadline if they show some promise like Mike Fires did last year. They just don't seem to be able to observe and roll with trends. So they were one of the first teams to go in and be like, hey, we'll sign a, you know, free agent pitcher to a deal. You know, maybe I can't remember offhand how much the Moore deal was or the Tyson Ross deal, but they could have paid a lot less. They could have gotten guys like Mercer and Harrison probably on minor league deals. Like we saw what happened with Jose Iglesias, who was a Tiger last year, went to a minor league deal to the Reds. The entire offseason trade market or free agent market is just so insane right now. It's broken. Yeah. And then I look at a guy like they have Nick, Nicholas Castellanos, who was basically begging to be traded this offseason. He was like, you know, I want to be on a new team or if, if they're going to trade me, I'd like to be on that new team before the season starts. And no trade moves, which tells me there was no trade interest. Ah. And then he goes and picks up Scott Boris as his agent um, <laughs> after the offseason. So I'm like, well, there goes any opportunity for us to sign an extension because that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just they're just making mistakes with the rebuild, I think. And I don't know who to blame that on, if it's ownership, if it's poor management by Alavila if he's just not necessarily getting the right feedback. But I just, I don't have a lot of faith right now in the way they're handling it, which makes me think that, like, my initial dreams of a 2020 um, season of a content <laughs> is so far out the window and that, like, 2023 is probably way more likely. Are there any players that haven't been disappointing and injured to the point that they can be parts of good trade packages this year that would accelerate that? Or is Um, Shane Green, who's the team's closer, has been incredible. First 12 opportunities of the season, he was 12 for 12 in save opportunities, which was bonkers. Depending on where they see the time frame of contention happening, I'd say Matthew Boyd would be a really good trade piece for them right now if they don't plan to contend for another three or four years if they want to push and start looking to contend in two years he's still under contract i don't know why you wouldn't want a guy like matthew boyd on your team for that contention year but that's again that's not for me to know where they think they're going to end up i think if they do believe that it's going to be a couple more years trade matthew boyd get yourself some really good prospects in the mix because he's been unbelievable like we're talking cy young discussion good for this year. I mean, I don't think he's quite that good, but (laughs) he's on the AL list. Like he's been really, really good this season. Continue conversation tells us a lot. Exactly. And so you have a guy like that available. And I I think if you're not planning to compete, you move him for something good, package him with green. If a team really needs both and get just a monstrous trade in return. Well, you had mentioned some of the, the prospects that are in the pipeline. How long, how far out do you think they are? Because if, I mean, if that's uh, going to be a few years. It'll all depend. I think a lot of guys wish Mize was up right now. <laughs> um, I mean, he was he was a college senior when they picked him up, so it's not out of the question age-wise. I would like to see him up no sooner than next year. I think it's a rush uh, if you do it that way. And I also think bringing him up this season is just a waste of a year mm-hmm. uh, as far as options go on him. So I, I wouldn't want to start the clock on him just to see him in the majors. Um, if you have a wasted season, there's just no point. I think Mize will be the first of the pitching guys to come up because he's one of the older ones. He's already exhibited a lot of control, a lot of maturity. 
I think you'll probably see him partway through next season. Jake Rogers, I could see coming up this year, depending. I think he's probably better than the current <laughs> their current pick catching staff that the Tigers have. Um, Grayson Griner was never really intended to be an everyday catcher, in my opinion. And it's really showing. And I think Jake Rogers is a very capable everyday starting catcher for the team. I don't know that they'll bring him up this year for the same reason. Like, why start a clock on a guy if, if you want to keep that control longer? Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see him starting as everyday catcher next season. He might come up in September, you know, get a get a sip of coffee. <laughs> see how that goes. Get a game check, at least. Yeah. Moving on to something a little little happier, because, you know, it sounds like they might be on the right direction with the Tigers, but they might not be, and that, that's kind of depressing. Let's, let's talk about... Train. Huh? It's a slow train. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about something else. Your YouTube channel, which is, you, you mentioned earlier, 90 Feet From Home. How did that come about? Um, I really... It just kind of came to me out of the blue, because I had started watching more YouTube, and I really liked the format of it. I know YouTube isn't new by any stretch, um, but over the last year or so, I, I started coming to it more, and sadly, it was a lot of makeup tutorials and <laughs> a lot of, like, lifestyle blogs. Um, but I just liked the way it, it kind of, like, it's just nice to sit and watch something for 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and it's just directed, and it's somebody talking to you, and there's something really unique about that format. And I'm like, there's nothing that I've seen out there that really embraces people who don't know about baseball. And for the longest time, I've had this plan and this outline and this whole thing where I wanted to write a book that was a beginner's guide to baseball, how you can become a fan and how you can learn about the sport. And here's everything you need to know. And I'm like, well, wouldn't it be great to just break down everything I wanted to put in this book and make it a YouTube channel? And so that anybody from like, you know, a diehard long running fan to, you know, your six year old niece or nephew who wants to know what walks and hits are can turn to this channel and there would be something there for them to help them educate them to not treat them like an idiot for not knowing what the difference between offense and defense in baseball is to like have episodes for any possible question that they could have as to like what the DH is or how the lineups are constructed And so that's how the channel came about. And it's been going on since March. And I think I'm just about to edit my 30th episode. And it's just there every time I turn around, I come up with a new idea for an episode. So I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. I really Um, like that you have topics that like with interspersed, you have topics for maybe like newer, more beginner level fans. And then you mix it in with like the higher knowledge where like the, the the different stat terminology and stuff like that. And so I I like that there's like a range of things, but it's not like a progressing range. It's, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's it's, not like starting and then building up. It's kind of a little bit all, not all over the place in a bad way, but in that there's like something to take away, even if you're not at a beginning level and that might not be for you there's something else maybe later that week that will be for you I like that you you mix it up like that thank you yeah and that was always like I don't think that there is a linear approach because every time like I said every time I record an episode I'm like oh that's another thing that I can make a whole episode on so it's everything from like here's what rain delays are and why they happen to the next episode I'm editing right now is on Babbitt like (laughs) so it's it is everything across the board because all of these things keep coming up and I think that you can take the like I obviously wanted to start with the basic basics like here's what bad average is here's what ERA is and then you can build from those 
And so it, it can be for anyone. I think the more you learn, the more you want to learn. My goal is just to make it accessible for everybody. Well, I think I think it was a great idea on your part because I feel like... Yes. Sorry, that was just me agreeing. I think it's really nice, to, like, if, especially if you have like a younger cousin or something that may not know very much about baseball but might like to. I like your point that you mentioned, like, it's not condescending because it's not going to make you feel bad for not knowing it already. That's what I like about it. Because there's a lot of places where you ask a question about something and people kind of, you know, aren't too nice about it. Like, you should already know the answer to it. So I like that approach to it a lot. I think that's great. And I think it's honestly a great resource for anyone who has somebody that wants to learn a little bit more about baseball. Because I think that that's, a, that's how you should train people when you want them to like your thing. Oh, Absolutely. And I think the problem is that for those of us who've been fans for a really long time, we can assume a base knowledge. I think we may take for granted that, of course, you know what the positions are. And of course, you know why there's a guy standing between second and third base. And, you know, of course, you understand what the layout is and, you know, why that guy in a mask is yelling at people. Um, <laughs> but I, I think for outsiders coming in, you kind of like, feel a sense of like I said when I came back into baseball I was watching it with a boyfriend who knew the game so well and you kind of feel shy about being okay so who's that guy and what's that guy doing and like explain this sport to me um because you know you don't want to bug him he's watching a game and you kind of feel like dumb for having to ask the questions at all well especially and I feel like as a woman it's already like generally assumed that you don't know so it's always like I never really want to ask if I don't if I have a question I never really want to ask it oh and that's just the thing like I, when I recorded my video on the infield fly rule I find that the infield fly rule is one of those things that like really gatekeeping dude bros will use to like test your baseball knowledge <laughs> and like, oh yeah you like baseball explain the infield fly rule to me but what I discovered like a day after I posted that video I think there was an infield fly rule that was not there was a non-infield fly rule moment at a Mariners game and it was just such kismet timing because people started <laughs> resharing the video mm -hmm. and they're like explained um because people are like well why wasn't that an infield fly rule and I'm like no oh, because there was no forced out at third <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of those things it's so confusing and like guys I had I to watch that video three times and that's just it like guys I know who are like dyed in the wool serious baseball writers would have a hard time explaining the infield fly rule to somebody it's such a complicated and tricky thing that for people to use that as like a proof that you like baseball or are a fan of baseball is utterly insane to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why I like having those. Cause then you can be like, mm, I'm just going to watch this video quickly. Oh, the infield fly rule is this. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is in a, a, a very different direction, Ashley, mm -hmm. but given your Rays fandom. I've always been very intrigued by the team and feel like they do things in ways that as a Giants fan are a little bit foreign to me. Yeah, they're that, foreign to a lot of people. Yeah, they're foreign, they're foreign to a lot of people. But so I guess my first question is just starting with that low of a payroll. As a fan, do you find it more satisfying when the team is able to compete with like the Yankees and the Red Sox while spending so much less money? Or does that not matter to you at all? Does it, is that a factor that wins above replacement per dollar spent is something that the Rays can continually call themselves champions at? Um, I find that I get really frustrated with the team a lot of the time for what I feel is an unwillingness to spend. 
Um, and it, it goes into things like where they'll sign these incredibly team-friendly extensions with guys like Longoria. I, I feel like the extension they signed with Kiermaier even was a fairly team-friendly deal. I look at what they just did with Blake Snell, and I think they got him for like five years, $52 million or something. Like these deals for like a just coming off a Cy Young season are, I don't know how they make them work. It's it's like they must have something in the water down there. It's these guys that stay with us. Like we have this championship in mind and we have all of these things that we have. Yes, there's a part of me, the cheap Winnipegger part of me, because <laughs> my, my city is very known for its frugality and its unwillingness to spend money on anything. That part of me is like, yeah, okay, the Yankees just spent all this money on Stanton and they spent all this money and they went out and got these guys over the off season. And the Rays made these really clever, inexpensive, very smart picks. But I don't know. I don't feel proud of them <laughs> for not spending money on bigger names. Like, I feel like it, it just recently came out that they were probably they were second to sign Craig Kimbrell behind the Cubs. So they just came in. And, and I don't know if that was that Kimbrell didn't want to sign with the Rays specifically uh, and would rather the pedigree of a team like the Cubs or if the Rays are just a little bit too cheap. Um, right. I feel like the latter probably isn't true, though, and that's where I kind of have mixed feelings about the money. Because had they gone for broke and, you know, signed a ton of guys over the offseason, they wouldn't have had the money available to them to pitch a guy like Kimbrell, where it was very possible with the money they hadn't spent that they could have gone in on Kimbrell and Keichel at the same time and had mm -hmm. enough money to do that. And not a lot of teams can say that without going over um, over their limits. So, yeah, there's a factor there to me that, like, wants to pat them on the back for being smart and saving money. But another part of me would be like, guys, just shell out the cash, get some extensions, get some big-name players, and, like, let's just really do this. Yeah. yeah. I, that's, that's how I feel, like, if you've got, like, the salary – if you've got so much money left – above what you're spending i'm like just spend the money spend it on the players it does that's who it should that's in my opinion who the money should be going to yeah yeah i was thinking about this the other day because when i was a kid i i hated the yankees because <laughs> everyone was always talking about you know oh the yankees they just they buy all the good players and you know there's obviously that stereotypical narrative about them just spending all the money and acquiring all the talent and as a kid it was always like yeah I want those teams like the Oakland A's who are barely spending any money to, you know, stick it to them. And then you kind of get old and you're like, wait a minute, maybe I should be rooting for the teams that are spending money on the players and on the employees and aren't just sitting on it. Yeah, like if I was a team owner, I'd be rooting for like the, the teams that are saving money, but I'm not getting that money. So pay the players. Right, exactly. But then there is a part of me that looks at it and thinks it's actually smart what they're doing. Like, from a, from a perspective of watching stuff like free agency and watching players maybe sign these insane deals like Bryce Harper. And if, I mean, I'm not saying Mike Trout wasn't worth every single cent the Angels paid for him in that extension because Mike Trout's one of the greatest baseball players in history. But I look at it and I'm like, OK, maybe there is something smart to this where they keep picking up these younger guys who are maybe just coming into free agency rather than signing these blockbuster extensions or signing these insane superstars 
who maybe are showing signs that they're not going to be as great as they were when they were 20 years old, like Bryce Harper was. So I'm like, maybe they know something that we're just not seeing. And maybe this is actually very smart of them. Well, I think, I mean, this goes to a bigger point that we don't really have to get all in on, but I think that goes to a fundamental problem in how they pay the baseball players and that they're not making any money when they're at their best. Yep. So, like, I've always been okay with those big deals for veteran players or older players, even if they're on the decline, as much as people complain about it, because, well, they earned that money, though. They already earned that money. Like, maybe they're not producing every year, and I get that it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay them more money on the years that they aren't as good, but it's like, until we're going to start paying them more when they're younger or when they're, you know, performing better then we can't really complain about them making a ton of money at the back end that's my opinion anyway i agree with you i feel like you're right though i feel like there should be some sort of built-in bonus especially for young guys where like maybe it's tied to your war or something or if you're producing like a nine war season when you're 19 years old maybe you should get an extra nine million dollars at the end of the year you know (laughs) yeah well we could do a whole podcast on that topic alone and we still might but um let's get on to our next segment so i asked you both to have a topic ready that you want to i'm not gonna say rant because rant implies negativity this can be positive or negative but at each episode we're going to have a section called the venting corner where i'm gonna put two minutes on the clock for you to vent about whatever you want and it does not have to be baseball so i am going to go ahead and let brady start you ready brady yeah though my rant got ruined a tiny bit given our the conversation we just had oh no um because basically my well it's only tangentially ruined my rant was basically going to be about how tremendously stupid the arbitration process is and how baseball needs to find a way to either get rid of it or remanage it in a way that does allow these players to be paid what they're worth when they're actually worth it instead of hoping that some teams will overspend for them later on down the road. And I think it needs to happen soon because right now we're seeing, as we saw with Keichel and Kimbrell, not getting signed until now and with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado not getting signed until really the 11th hour even though they got you know the money that they should have gotten it looked for a while like they weren't going to and I think we're seeing teams get smarter and smarter with their finances and as we see those teams get smarter that comes at the expense of the players and I think it's great when teams are like you were talking about Ashley really smart with their young players and realizing where they can actually get the value from the best value from and that it doesn't have to come from from dropping nine figures but there is obviously a huge huge repercussion to that and it comes at the expense of the players and i feel like it would be so easy to implement a system that accomplishes what baseball wants with arbitration which i assume is to give that team control to the teams rather than just allowing the players to hit free agency at a very young age. And if they just had something like restricted free agency, these players could get paid what they're worth when they're worth it. And teams would still be able to have some control and it would be so much more fair and make a better product in my opinion. And time. Good job, Brady. Right Uh, on the money. Right on the money. Like two seconds to spare. Good job. Yeah, I mean, I I can't argue with anything that you just said. I agree 100%. And we may have to come back and revisit this topic and do a whole episode on it. I'd be down for that. Um, So let me reset this. Ashley, are you ready? I think so. All right. I'm starting the timer now. Um, on a similar note, and I know Brady mentioned this so briefly during the beginning, I want to talk about the way that we pay minor league players. 
which is atrocious and truly needs to be looked at from every single major league team. And really, I know that the Blue Jays looked at redoing it, but all teams need to look at the way they're paying minor leaguers because at the most, these guys at a triple A level are making, you know, poverty, just below poverty like wages with like maybe 20 grand a year or less. And they're making this while also having to work out in the off season and maintain their physicality and continue to perform and be ready anytime they have to show up to spring training where they don't get paid at all for those games in the like single a and double a levels they're being forced to live together in tiny cramped apartments where like four guys are sharing you know one jar of peanut butter and some ramen noodles if they're lucky maybe they get to live with a host family and that host family will periodically feed them real food but it's just mind-boggling to me that we expect these guys to be performance machines that will one day kind of reach that major league level and we don't give them anything resembling a living wage so that while they're still worrying about becoming the perfect MLB star they might also have to work as a plumber or have two or three side gigs and you're looking at other teams and other sports like hockey like basketball and they're paying their minor league players legitimate above living expense wages. Like we're talking real money, money that these guys can actually use towards feeding their families and focusing on the sport that they're meant to be like good at. And I see these arguments of people going, well, they should be in it for the love of the game. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're not. It's a profession. And these kids have been spending their entire lives working towards this goal and they shouldn't also have to have, you know, six side jobs and still be hitting the gym for three or four hours every day just to be able to do this thing that they've dreamt of doing their whole lives. And I think it's just monstrous that these billionaire team owners aren't willing to shell in what would amount to a couple million bucks of their revenue over the course of a year to pay every single minor league player in their system at every level a living above poverty level wage. Yeah, we've and, reached the yeah. reached time, but I wanted to let you keep going because I... Sorry. No, no, I, I wanted to add on to that because you think that there's been... I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that have been focused on this for quite some time because it's not like this is new, but it feels like this season there's been quite a bit more attention on it. Does it feel that way to you? And do you think that might lead to something changing? Yeah, I mean, I got to give a huge shout out to Emily Walden from The Athletic, yeah. who this is such a passion thing for her, too. Um, she wrote an incredible, incredible piece for The Athletic, which is worth the price of the annual membership alone, um, where she interviewed a ton, a ton of minor league guys, some of whom were willing to talk with their real names, most of whom were like, I got to be anonymous, but she talked to their wives, she talked to everybody. And it's appalling the conditions these guys live with just to, like, play the game because they love it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I really hope that articles like that and the attention – it was almost within a week of that article coming out that the Blue Jays were like, no, we're going to increase wages by 50%. Um, so I feel like there will be kind of more, more done as a result of that, um, whether or not it's – really what the teams are capable of doing, I don't know. Um, because it, it would cost each team a couple million, which to us sounds like a lot, but to these billion-dollar revenue machines is nothing. Yeah. Um, to make life suitable for these guys, to 
offer them real food that they can eat during the season to well, and that's obviously the wage it's is the is the big issue as well but the fact that they don't provide they're like they don't provide them the tools that they need to be successful is just astonishing to me yeah like they're not I, paying I, them but they're also not providing them with the, the resources to feed themselves nutritious food and the tools that they need to you know become these major league stars that they want them to become and they don't pay them on top I of know. that and it, I feel like if you did that, if you gave these guys access to, like, a, a nutritionist or a cook, like, to provide them meals after the thing, or, like, regular access to a gym or housing for, like, the just cheap apartments that these guys didn't have to pay for or worry about that were part of the team program, they would be so much more focused on sports. They would be so much more focused on improving themselves as players that it would only benefit the teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to protect your investment at some level, and in order to do that, you have to actually be investing in them. And like, in addition to the fact that they're not going to be able to be their best self if, if they're not being invested in, how many players do you potentially lose because they don't want to go through their 20s under the poverty line? Well, exactly. How many guys can live in a bus or like live in a van by the river for three <laughs> seasons in a row, you know? Yeah. like. We make it sound really romantic when Daniel Norris did it, but, like, these are guys who, like, they're just giving up everything at the smallest shot of being, like, one of that 12% of guys who ever get to the major league level. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how many people are you turning off or turning towards other sports because they know they're not going to make any money? If they ever if they ever do make it, it's going to be years, and during that time, they're never going to make money. How many guys are choosing hockey? How many guys are choosing basketball? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of young men play a lot of different sports, and they're good at a lot of different ones. So how many are thinking, you know, I just can't afford to play baseball? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kyler Murray is a, obviously an extreme example and he obviously would have had a nice signing bonus but i think he still serves as an example for why the system is broken and why other people are going to be taking an easier quicker path to more guaranteed money absolutely yeah so my rant was like compared to the two of you guys was like kind of silly and we're a little over time anyway so we're gonna skip it it was about madison bumgarner yelling at people um <laughs> so we can skip that one let's move on um so i wanted to ask each of you to uh, i want to give you an opportunity to tell us about anything that you have going on that you want people to know about brady go ahead and go first well i don't have anything baseball related going on that anyone okay. should know about unfortunately um i mean i will have plenty of stuff in the coming weeks at mccovey chronicles that people should certainly read but i don't have anything particular in the pipeline that they should be looking at but i have lots of basketball stuff in the pipeline and would encourage everyone to visit our cousin site golden state of mind for the rest of the finals coverage and as ashley already promoted earlier spend 17 dollars Get the year-long WNBA League Pass, um, and then you'll hopefully run into a bunch of my writing there, because I have a lot of WNBA stuff in the pipeline. That's awesome. So, Ashley? Just more YouTube stuff. I release new episodes every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, so you can find that if you search 90 Feet From Home, although there was a really bad, like, Eric um, Roberts movie called 90 Feet From Home, <laughs> which is making that slightly difficult. Um, so if you find me on Twitter at 90 feet from home, um, the link is right there in my Twitter bio. Otherwise just regular stuff from me. 
um, every week over at Bless You Boys, at D-Rays Bay, and sometimes at Bleed, at Bleed Cubby Blue. I usually do an uh, NL Central breakdown for them every Monday. And finally, since this is the happy hour, um, we're going to close with your favorite cocktail recipes. Uh, I'm more of a beer person. I like Sierra Nevada, but... I would say my favorite summer uh, cocktail would be a vodka tonic with lime. Super simple. Um, Brady? Yeah, okay, I love this question. Even though I'm usually a beer person as well. So I discovered something like a year ago that is the most magical thing ever. That if you take some citrus, I prefer grapefruit, but blood orange is great here as well. And you just squeeze the crap out of it, get all the juice out, and then a little bit of the zest, put it in a jar, and add an equal amount by volume of sugar and just shake it up, leave it in the fridge, shake it every few hours so that it nice and dissolves. And it turns into this glorious, citrusy, bright, vibrant, simple syrup that is way better than an actual simple syrup. And if you add just like a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon of it to a vodka soda or a vodka tonic or a gin and tonic, it is just the most delightfully refreshing, amazing summer cocktail and I could drink them every warm day ever, like four of them. They're, they're wonderful. And they're so simple. Sounds amazing. I'm going to have to ask you this question every time you're on. You're going to have to answer. Oh, I have, different I have a lot of good cocktails in my okay. back pocket, Sammy. Uh, I'll good. come prepared. I was only going to ask you because it's your first time on the podcast, but knowing you, oh, I can I'm keep just it gonna going. ask you every time. Call <laughs> it um, Beverage Corner. <laughs> we could. We could have, you could have your own podcast. Perfect. Uh, Ashley, what about you? I don't know how to follow that. That was so good. Um, <laughs> of simple syrup, though, I actually made a lilac simple syrup yesterday, okay. uh, which was two cups of lilac blossoms with all the green stems removed, two cups of sugar, and two cups of water all kind of together. Uh, and then I added like a handful of blueberries to turn it purple. Um, so that I'm definitely going to try in a vodka soda now. Um, but mine was going to be a gin. So usually just like a shot glass full of gin, a nice gin. If you have it, I have this really nice Vancouver Island fancy gin, um, mixed with a little bit of the roses lime cordial and a can of key lime LaCroix. And that is my limey delicious summer beverage. Very nice. That sounds well, amazing. It does. It's, mine sounds really basic, but I'm going <laughs> to keep it. Um, and then steal Brady's syrup and put it in there. <laughs> yeah. um, Collaboration. Okay. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, well, thank you both for being here. And, and it has been great talking to you. Um, and where can people find you on social media if you want them to? Uh, for me, I'm at 90 feet from home everywhere. So Facebook, Twitter. Um, if you want my personal Instagram, if you really want to see me making stuff like, like lilac, simple syrup, it's better butterfly. Otherwise I do have a 90 feet from home one as well, where I kind of post more baseball stuff. And Brady? I'm Brady Klopp for NBA on Twitter. And that's the only place you can find me. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you both again for being here. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs>